0: Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Uh, a book of the Bible to go through verse by verse, but um, I've been enjoying it and I hope you have as well. Uh, this morning we are continuing right where we left off uh, previously. So we're going to be jumping into the middle of 1 Peter Chapter four. We're going to start at verse seven, and then we're going to actually finish out the rest of chapter four this morning. And then next week, as you heard, Aaron Mueller, the bearded one, spirit beard is quite, quite full on. It's got to be pretty warm at this time of year. I was just thinking. Anyway, I never had a beard that long. But he'll be here next week, and he's going to do chapter five of First Peter, and he's actually going to finish out our series, and uh, we'll wrap up the series of First Peter. So that's the plan for today. We'll finish chapter 4, and then next week, uh, chapter 5, we'll finish up our series. Well, this morning, we're actually going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7-19. to 19, And we're going to look at it in two sections, because there are two very distinct sections in chapter 4 that we need to look at this morning. So, first of all, we're going to look at this first part, which is uh, verses 7-19 through 11, and you can see that the verses are going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read that in one moment, and then uh, we'll go through those verses together. But one thing I want to say uh, as we start this morning, and as we've gone through 1 Peter, um, you may have thought, who is, who is uh, you know, what's the audience that P- Peter is writing to? Who are these people that Peter is writing to? And I want to just remind you of who Peter is writing to because it influences uh, how we're thinking about these verses this morning. So Peter is writing not just to one particular church. He's not writing to one particular person, one particular Christian. Peter is writing to a wide range of people. He's writing to Christians who are spread out over this wide geographical area. Christians who are located in all these different small church fellowships all over the region. So his advice is not just to one particular person. And he calls this wide group of people, he calls them exiles. He calls them exiles. He uses that term because they are kind of spread out, and they're um, people who are no longer kind of at the center of society. They're people who are living kind of on the margins or the edges of society. These are people who uh, were once kind of accepted in the middle of society. They were um, doing a lot of different things, and they were kind of with the in-crowd. But because they have become Christians, because they have put their faith in the Lord Jesus, they are now on the edges of society. They're no longer kind of in the acceptable part of society, and they're right on the edge. He calls them exiles. So keep that in mind this morning as we go through these verses, because it's going to become important a little bit later on as we get into these verses. So let's read this morning, and let's start with... First uh, Peter chapter four, verse seven, and we're going to read verses seven through eleven this morning. So beginning in verse seven, Peter writes, "The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So, this first section of First Peter chapter four that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, actually finishes uh, a theme that Peter has been talking about. And the theme that he's been talking about is, how do we as Christians, how do we relate to other people? So how do we relate to other people? Well, in verses 1 through 6, Peter has been talking about um, how Christians should relate to other people who are outside of the church. So that's where we finished off last week, where where Peter says in in chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, you as a Christian, how should you relate to people who are outside of the church? Why should you relate to people in your community? And he said, you used to live a lifestyle of sin where you were, with, you were doing all those sinful practices in, your, in the days before you became a Christian. You were doing all sorts of things and you were running around with those people and they, um, they now look at you as a Christian and they say, essentially they say, what's wrong with you? And instead of just accepting your new lifestyle as a Christian, they're actively speaking against you. They are actively against you because you're a Christian. So that's the backdrop for this. what we're looking at this morning. Where these believers that Peter is writing to have actively made a decision to follow Christ. And because they have made that decision to follow Christ, they are on the receiving end of abuse and scorn and shame from people in their community. And people that they used to hang out with and people that they used to know. So that's the reality for the people who are receiving this. So that's kind of the backdrop. Well, Peter, in these verses that we've just read, 7 through 11, what he's talking about is more to do with how do we relate to each other within the church. So how do we relate to each other within the church? That's what he really wants to get at this morning. Now, the first thing that Peter says is the end of all things is near. In the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament had this they had this very clear sense that we were living in this end time. That Jesus Christ has won the victory on the cross, right? He's overcome sin and death and hell. And he has won a victory, that he died on the cross, he was buried on the third day he rose again, that he appeared to many of his followers, and that he ascended into heaven and promised to return. And so we are in this final age where we're waiting for the victory of Christ to be fully made known on the earth and that Christ will return one day. And we live in that final age, just as these first um, hearers and the first people to receive this letter from Peter. We live in that same time period. And the New Testament, there's a sense of urgency. that because we live on this final stage, this end of the age, that we should have a certain way that we think and a certain way that we live. I don't know if you've ever felt this in your own life, but... Um, Have you ever been at a stage of life where you can kind of sense that something is coming to an end? Where maybe it's a change in your job, where you just kind of know that the end is coming. Or maybe you can, maybe you've been in school and you sense, you know, going into my final year of school, I can just, an end is coming, a change is coming. Maybe it's in family circumstance where you just know something is happening you know, where maybe a kid is moving out of the house or something's going to happen where the end of one season is going to happen. Or maybe it's um, a medical diagnosis where you receive that diagnosis and you say, boy, the life as I've known it up to this point is going to change. There are multiple times in life where we kind of sense like one season is ending and you're not quite sure what's next. Well, in those times, often, our minds become more sober. Our minds become more focused, and we begin to pray a little bit more. Because as we realize that one season is ending, it kind of focuses our minds. And that's what Peter is saying in this first verse. He says, Be alert, a sober mind, so that you may pray. I don't know if you've ever been in that season where something is ending, and you've prayed a little bit more consistently, you've prayed a little more precisely, and you have really focused in, and your mind becomes clearer. For all those other distractions and things that no longer seem quite as important. And you're really focused on what's most important. That's the mindset that Peter says we should have as a church. That's the mindset Peter says we should have as a Christian. That in our culture, in our world, there's all sorts of crazy stuff going on. But we need to be sober and of clear mind so that we may pray. So that's the first thing uh, that Peter says to us this morning. In these verses, in verse 8, he says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Have you heard this phrase before, or this verse before, that love covers a multitude of sins? Well, I was thinking about these these words, and thinking, well, what does it mean for us this morning? Well, Peter, remember, is talking about Christian community. This is like a family talk right here that Peter's having. He's saying, okay, we've already talked about how you relate to people outside of the church. This is how we relate inside the family. This is how we relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ inside the church. So what does it mean that love covers a multitude of sins? Well, we often think of our sin as something that's personal to us. Where maybe you sin and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you you know you need to repent. Um, but sin also affects the church body as a whole. Sin also affects us as a community. It also affects the, the church as we come in and as we worship each other, worship with each other. <laughs> so, as we come in and as we, as we are in community, as we're worshiping, there's this thing of sin that can affect how we relate to each other right, gets in the way, where we get offended with each other. We, you know, somebody does something and you get angry and bitterness. You know, there's just things that happen, right, when you're in community. And I think what Peter is saying here is, well, instead of anger and bitterness and jealousy and sin getting in the way, and this community being known as, this church community being known as one that gets angry, gets bitter, bent out of shape, Sin, talking about each other behind each other's back. Instead, he said, this community should be marked and should be known as a community of love. So that love has the final word. I don't know if you've ever been part of a group. I don't know if it's at work or even in your family or somewhere where just seems like sin kind of has like the last word, right? People get offended. People just have anger towards each other, and it never seems to get resolved. Or maybe there's somebody in that group who has done something in their past. There's a sin in their past that everybody knows about. And every time they get together with that group, they're reminded of their sin. Because people will say, oh, remember so-and-so? Remember what they did? So bad. Who could ever forget that thing that they did? And... Every time they're around other people in this group, they're made to feel bad. You know, maybe it's every time they go to a family reunion or something, they just know people are talking about that thing that they did 20 years ago, and they just can never get past it. Well, the church should not be that type of place. The church should be a place where love covers a multitude of sins, where you should be able to walk through the door And know the love and acceptance of God. Where you should walk through the door and, and you shouldn't be reminded of your shortcomings and your failures and your sin. Now that's not to say that we just conveniently overlook sin. There still is a need for us to repent, to confess our sin, to look to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. Yes, that should happen. But when we get together as a church community, we should absolutely look to show the love of God to each other so that when we love each other, that multitude of sins that we bring into the church fellowship together, that all of that should be covered by the grace of God. Church should be a community where you walk in the door knowing that you are accepted, knowing that there's love here, knowing that you can be part of this family and that you won't be reminded of your sin You won't be reminded of your past. Does that make sense this morning? That love covers a multitude of sins. Peter goes on in verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So in the time that Peter was writing, he was writing when there were lots of traveling preachers who would go around from church to church to church and they would show up and they would preach and they would teach the scriptures. So you can imagine that... uh, you know, these church fellowships are usually quite small. And this preacher comes in the town, and you, you know, hear the knock at the door. Hey, I'm preaching uh, at your church this week. Just need a place to stay. Oh, boy. An unexpected guest has just shown up. That can be, uh it's annoying, right? Sometimes people just show up. Okay, okay. All right. We can put you up. So this uh, preacher shows up. And, uh you know, a lot of these people that Peter was writing to, they didn't have a lot of material wealth, or possessions. So um it would have been a real inconvenience for someone to come and stay. So uh preacher shows up. Yeah, I just need a place to stay. OK, well, there might be only one bed in the house or limited food or what have you. OK, yep, we want to honor that guest. So it's really an inconvenience to you that this person is stopping by. But OK, OK, I want to honor this guest. Uh, How long do you think you're going to be staying for? I don't know. How long does the Holy Spirit need to move? Could be a while. (laughs) Okay, all right. So you're just showing up. You're not sure how long you'll be here. Okay, okay, okay. Well, you could see how that would get really annoying, right? You'd be tempted to grumble. You'd be tempted to complain. But Peter says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. All right, all right. Okay, so that's what he says in verse 9. Verse 10, each of you should use whatever gifts you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So when we come into church, we're to use our gifts to serve others. And this assumes a couple of things. So number one, it assumes that each of us have a gift. All right, do you believe that this morning? Each of us has a gift that God has given us. Now, Peter doesn't list all the gifts on it. There are other parts in the New Testament where these gifts are laid out. And so the Apostle Paul writes a lot about spiritual gifts. But these are gifts that serve the church. And Peter is saying, use your gift to serve one another. Use your gift to serve one another. And when you do that, you are faithfully stewarding God's grace. So there's a grace that God wants to see us step into a grace that God wants to see happen in the church that happens whenever we are using our gifts to serve one another. So this is an encouragement to serve one another and to use the gifts that God has given you. So he actually does talk about a couple of specific examples when he talks about these gifts. And these um, examples come to us in verse 11. So in verse 11, We want to jump to the next slide. We'll see verse 11. There we go. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. So in all things, God may be praised. We'll stop it right there. So he uses two examples of ways that we can use our gifts to encourage each other in the church. So he says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very word of God. So what is Peter talking about here? Uh, Is Peter saying that every time you open your mouth and you say hello to someone, that you are saying the very words of God? Well, not exactly. Peter here is using a particular word in the original language for the word speaks. And that word refers to whenever you say something that comes with authority. So what Peter is saying is there are times when you gather together as a church that you speak the words of God and those words come with a certain authority where you are sharing the word of God with each other. And the underlying message here is that there's a lot of encouragement and comfort and strength that we can share among each other as we share the word of God with each other. Now at New Day we do this in various ways. You can share scripture with each other. But we also have the prayer ministry, we have the prophetic ministry, we have words of encouragement that we can share with each other, during worship we have words that are spoken. So we have lots of ways built into New Day, into the structure of the church, in order for us to live out this passage of scripture, to live out this verse, where we share and we speak the words of God. And I don't know if you've ever had a prophetic word spoken over you, or if you've Receive a word of encouragement or received a scripture from someone that was just the very thing you needed to hear in that moment. So that's what Peter's talking about right here. That we would share those things with each other. That we would look for ways to share the word of God with each other. Because when we do, it creates community and it creates connection with each other, but also affirms and strengthens our relationship with God. He also then says in verse 11, If anyone serves should do so with the strength God provides. I don't know if you've ever been asked to serve at church or you've thought about serving at church and you've thought, oh, I don't know if I could actually do that. I'm not sure if I have what it takes to serve in whatever form of ministry. But Peter says here, there's a strength that God provides for you to serve. And so there's a strength that you can tap into. There's a strength that you can draw upon as you serve in the church. And Peter encourages us To look to that source of strength. And then Peter gets really excited. Look at these words at the end where he says, God be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. He's excited. He's excited because he's talking about church. He's excited. He's talking about the community. He's talking about the way that Christians should live in community with each other. So this last part is actually a prayer. So we're going to pause for a moment, and we're going to follow the flow of Scripture. And we're going to pray for a second. So I know it's a little different. We're going to pray in the middle of the sermon. But we're going to follow what Peter writes. Peter is excited to be talking about community, excited to talk about the church. So let's close out verse 11. And let's pray for just one moment, and then we'll jump into the next part. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this passage of Scripture that shares how we should live together in community. Help us, God, to be a church that loves one another, that serves one another, that's hospitable to one another, that speaks your words of truth to one another, to encourage and draw us closer together as a community and closer to you. Father help us to be of sober mind and to pray and to know what it is to live before you as a faithful church community In your name we pray amen all right so that finishes part one for this morning and we're just gonna read verses twelve to nineteen and uh, I'm just gonna highlight really the main theme of these verses and uh let's let's look at these together it starts off. or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? That's a quote from Proverbs, verse 18. Uh, Verse 19 to finish. So then, those who suffer according to God's will, should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. All right, so one of the things that happens when you decide to preach through an entire book of the Bible is that sometimes you come across passages that you might not otherwise normally read. So I don't know if you've read this passage very much before or if you're familiar with it. But oftentimes, it can be tempting for us to skip over passages that talk about suffering. Um, There are a lot of Christians, though, in the world who live in various cultures and societies who do suffer for their faith and suffer quite extreme hardship. And these verses right here would have tremendous meaning and comfort for them. So for us, uh, we... We don't really suffer to the degree that many people in the world suffer for their faith. And we also aren't suffering to the degree that Peter is addressing in this passage. So there is going to be a little bit of work that we need to do to really understand this passage. Because culturally, we're just very disconnected from the reality Peter's addressing in these verses. But I think we can still learn something from it together. So the big picture from this section of Scripture is that uh, there's suffering... That can be for God's glory. There's suffering that can be for God's glory. Now that's kind of a stretch for us. We don't normally think this way. But um, normally when we suffer in some, in some way, we normally will pray and ask God to take it away. To make the suffering stop. We'll say, please God, make this suffering stop. I don't like suffering. Please make it stop. But Peter instead is saying that there's a suffering that comes that can lead to God's glory. So suffering can lead to glory. Okay, so that's a little different. We don't normally think that way. There are a couple of examples I thought of in our culture that do put these two ideas together of suffering and glory, and I think we can use it as a starting point this morning. So I don't know if you listen to sports radio at all. Anybody listen to sports radio? I'll listen to some of that when I'm driving. Well, sports radio people we will talk about athletes all the time. Individual. i will talk about teams, I will talk about athletes. And one of the things that they like to talk about is how much training and suffering athletes go through in order to become really good at what they do. So, you know, think of an example like LeBron James, you know, best basketball player right now. And, you know, if they interview LeBron James, they say, uh, you know, how much, you know, how do you become as good? You know, how do you reach the pinnacle of your sport? How do you become this good? Well, you can imagine if he said, well, you know, I don't have to train. I just show up, you know. Just tell me what time the game starts. I'll be there a few minutes early. You know, I'll get changed, and I'll just run out right onto the court. You can imagine what our response would be, right? We'd say, what? You just show up and play? That doesn't sound right. No, no, no. We want to know that you go into the gym at 5 o'clock every morning, that you've got to lift weights, that you've got to train with your teammates, that you have suffered to become as good as you become, Right. We kind of want to hear that there's some hard work and that there's some suffering involved. you know. We want to know that when we're we're sleeping in some mornings that LeBron James is up early trying to become a better basketball player, right? That's what we want to hear. Have you ever had a friend train for a marathon or for a run or something? There's a bunch of people that run up at New Day in Kalamazoo. You, know, you talk to them after church. How's it going? Good. What are you guys up to? Oh, we're training for a marathon. Okay, well that's that's nice. you know. Well, you don't want to hear that They just showed up and ran the marathon without doing any training, right? That would be the worst. You want to hear that they did lots and lots of training runs and that they had to get up early and that they suffered. Hey, what would you do yesterday? Ah, I had to get up early on a Saturday. I had to run eight miles. Yeah? How was that? Oh, it was terrible. I was really hurting. And you're thinking like, "Ah, that's great to hear. Because you don't want people to get the glory without the suffering, right? There's a lot of things in life that are like that. Or if you get the glory, but there's no hard work, you get the glory, but there's no suffering, it just doesn't feel right. You know, in our military, we think about this as well, right? That people train and they get ready for battle, that they put themselves through physical and mental and emotional anguish often to get ready for battle that they live in extreme circumstances, that they fight in war, but there's a glory when they come home where we celebrate and we say, you have earned glory in our culture because you have gone through suffering and hardship. So, in at least some ways, we have this idea where suffering can lead to glory. And what Peter is saying is, there's a suffering that happens for being a Christian that leads to the ultimate glory, where if you suffer for the name of Jesus that is so glorious it's a very particular type of suffering now not all suffering in life is the same sometimes suffering that happens is because probably not anyone here but sometimes you make bad choices right And suffering is just like, okay, a predictable result of what what you decide to do. So I used the example last week, but I was doing some work a couple of weeks ago, physical work. I was going to the job site. I was super hungry. I was like, I need to eat some food before we do this job or it's going to be painful. Stopped at McDonald's, ate way too much food, and there was suffering afterwards. It did not feel good. Alright, so that was suffering as a result of overeating. Predictable, predictable suffering right there. I probably could have told you in the middle of eating all those fries that this was going to hurt. Sometimes suffering in life is because of our own choices. But that's not what Peter is talking about here. He wants to be very clear. There was no glory... (laughs) in the suffering of eating too much lunch. That does not honor God, <laughs> right? God, I want to honor you in my suffering right now because I ate too much food. Peter's not talking about that. He's talking about a very precise thing that's happening, which is that because you are a Christian, because you bear the name of Jesus Christ, because you and Christ are one because you are so united with Jesus in your identity that you draw shame and you draw scorn and you draw ridicule from people in this world who have no love for Jesus, that you draw a certain amount of suffering. And he said it's that type of suffering that is for God's glory. In verse 13 you can see it on the screen you can see but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of jesus so you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed when there is suffering for the name of christ we get the glory that goes along with the name of jesus and it's actually jesus who does the majority of the suffering I don't know if you can see that in verse 13, but he said, We participate in the sufferings of Christ. Who suffers in this verse? It's actually Jesus who suffers. Jesus, I don't know if you think, thought about this much, but Jesus' suffering did not end on the cross. But Jesus continues to suffer when his name is not worshipped. When people speak ridicule against the name of Jesus, when they take his name in vain, when they curse his name, when they live their lives cursing jesus and turning their back on him he's grieved by that that there's suffering that comes to the name of jesus and he's grieved when we as christians are made to suffer because of our identification with jesus that when people speak against you because you are a christian when people say you're a christian and you are this way and that way and we hate you and we're going to persecute you jesus is grieved when that happens And so, because we are so united with Christ, there's actually comfort that comes when we're made to suffer for the name of Jesus. It says right there in verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Jesus, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So there are very, I don't know if you've ever read stories of Christians around the world who have faced persecution. Faced, just, unimaginable hardship because they are Christians for no other reason. But because they are Christians, people have attacked them, driven them from their home, fled their country. There are people, Christians I've met from different countries in Grand Rapids through work. There are Christians living in Grand Rapids who have been driven from their home country and will never be able to return to that home country. Will never see their family, will never see their home village simply because they're Christian and they're here building a new life. There are people who, living not that far from us, who know exactly what this feels like. If you talk to them, they'll say, there's a lot of hardship, there's a lot of suffering, but there's also some incredible uh, measure of comfort, even in the midst of suffering, that they have encountered where they can't explain it, but whenever they were going through the worst suffering and the worst trial, that they were connected with Jesus in a way that they've never been connected before. That there was something about that experience that drew them so close to Jesus, they're not sure if they would have had that connection to Jesus any other way. And I think it has to do with this verse 14, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of suffering. And what Peter is saying is, we should look to the glory of God. We should know that there is a comfort and a measure of hope that comes because of the Holy Spirit, because of God our Father, even in the midst of suffering. So what Peter is saying is we should reframe and think again about the word suffering because there is a suffering that can lead to glory. There is a suffering that we can endure. One final point this morning is Peter makes a very important distinction and a very important point. And let's move our slides to the next. Let's go forward one more. Verses fifteen and sixteen. He says, There's a suffering that comes as a Christian, and there's a suffering that comes as a criminal. And I think he I think he probably put this in here because imagine that you're being persecuted as a Christian. You know, if we came to church to get, and we were all kind of separately being persecuted, like really persecuted, one of the mindsets that we might think is, boy, our society is treating us like a bunch of criminals. It's like we're no better than a bunch of criminals. You know? Like, nobody will come to my business. I, people are actively trying to attack me. I have no place in society whatsoever. Nobody will take me seriously. Imagine you're just so disconnected from society. You can imagine the Christians coming together and saying, it's as if we're a bunch of criminals. They're treating us that badly. And Peter said, there's actually one really important distinction. If you're a criminal, and you're on the edge of society, there is an incredible amount of shame that comes with that identity. Where, as a criminal, you carry all of this shame on your life. Where you... Not only have the suffering of being cast out, you know, you're in prison or even if you've gotten out of prison, you carry like the stigma and you carry the shame that goes along with that identity. Peter said as a Christian, though, it's completely different. There's no shame in being a Christian. There's no shame in that suffering. Instead, there's glory in that suffering. So if you're ever tempted to think, wow, I'm, I'm no better than a criminal. Peter says, don't think of yourself that way. Because you don't have any of the stigma and the shame that goes along with being a criminal. Even if the world wants you to think that way. He said, the reality is, it's a glorious identity to be one who suffers for Jesus Christ. It's only a place of honor and glory. So don't ever be tempted to think that it's a place of shame. That's a really important distinction that Peter puts in there. So, glory connected with suffering... And when we suffer for the name of Jesus, we are blessed and that God will pour on us the Spirit and we'll be able to endure. So it's not a message you're going to hear too often. These are not verses that we cover too regularly in church. But there we have it. First Peter chapter 4. Peter encourages the churches to withstand the suffering that they're going through and to look to the glory of God. Let's pray this morning to finish up. Father God, we thank you so much that there is hope, that there is comfort, that there is love that we can draw upon even in the midst of suffering. God, that when we suffer for the name of Jesus, that we can give you glory in the midst of that suffering. That there's a special grace, there's a special comfort that you can provide in those moments where we suffer for the name of Jesus. God, we think about Christians around the world who even today are suffering for their faith. Christians who are unsure of their physical safety, unsure if they can even stay in their home countries. Christians who are suffering for the faith. God, we pray that you would strengthen them. We pray that you, your presence would be with them. We pray, God, that they would give you glory, and that they would know the comfort of your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you would help us to take these words to heart and help us, Lord God, to think about the ways in which suffering can be for your glory. And we thank you, Lord God, for your word. Thank you for this church community. In your name we pray. Amen.